I see this really a lot with musicians that are first starting out is that they're trying to emulate things that artists, you know, two, three years down the path are doing, thinking that they will work for them, but they won't because they haven't built the foundation that they need in order to take advantage of those things. So whether it's like PR, you know, spending money on PR or, um, you know, doing like a whole bunch of different social media platforms or whatever it is, it's just, you're not gonna be able to take advantage of it until you've done the base stuff. Welcome to the Being in a Band podcast. I'm your host, Monica Strutt, and I'll be your new band bestie as we deep dive into all things music marketing, branding, PR, and release strategy, as well as the mindset it takes to succeed in today's modern music industry. I know the highs and lows of being a musician, and I've seen far too many of my talented peers give up on their dreams far too early in their careers. After working for years as a musician, professional digital marketer, and music journalist, I now help emerging bands break through the glass ceiling and reach the next level in their careers. Let's do this. What's up? Welcome back to the Being in a Band podcast. I'm recording another episode for you on the road as I'm in Sydney. Well, not technically on the road, but I'm not at home in my usual office with my usual microphone. But I figure that this is something that both of us, you and I, are going to have to get used to because as my band grows and as we begin to tour, there may be other occasions where I'm recording podcast episodes from the tour bus or from whichever city that we're playing in. And I think that that's kind of cool. Like my dream for my business has always been to create something that gives back to the music community and shares knowledge, of course, but also a job that I can work pretty much from anywhere, the back of the tour bus included. So imagine a world where I am on tour and it's safe to go overseas and I'm going across like the Arizona desert or something like that. And I'm having consulting calls as we are driving to the next show. That is my ultimate vision. And wouldn't it be cool to like, I don't know, chat with someone who's ahead of you and helping you on your own band's journey and they're doing it themselves and they're actually on tour at the time that you are speaking to them or listening to this podcast. So I hope that that vision kind of excites you as much as it excites me because, man, like that would be just so, so cool. And I'm currently sitting in my dad's lounge room. I've just been helping him pick olives for the past hour. I'm from an Italian background. Uh, My family's Sicilian. And I mean, my dad was born here, but he has so many vivid memories of picking olives and going through like the whole process that they have to go through from being green to being marinated uh, and to a point where you can eat them. And yeah, he was telling me about it today. I never really had the chance to do anything like that growing up in the Shire, didn't grow up in anywhere rural or anything. So yeah, I just like came over. I'm staying here the night before I go back to Melbourne tomorrow and was helping him uh, de-olive the tree. And there was so many. We got over a bucket's worth of olives just in that hour. And he's, I'm watching him climb the ladder and praying that he doesn't fall off. Uh, my dad's like 70, but he he doesn't look at it all. He looks about 50. So he's uh, scaling the tree and the ladder.
better as I'm recording this podcast episode. And hopefully in a couple of months when I return back to Sydney, I'll have some delicious olives to consume. Uh, Aside from that, uh, finalizing artwork for my band's next release, that was on the agenda today. It's the only thing that we're waiting on right now before we can launch into the release plan. So I'm very excited to be taking you on the journey with me or with us rather as we go into relaunching. We've just decided to lock in a show or two. Oh my gosh, sorry if you can hear the traffic and background noise, but yeah, we've just decided to lock in a show or two for May, which is incredibly exciting and hopefully our new song will be out in April. And yeah, just waiting on that artwork because uh, the first thing that we need to do in this process is actually upload the song for digital distribution. That needs to be done four to six weeks in advance nowadays. Back in the day um, when Spotify first launched, you could upload your song only a couple of weeks in advance, but it really is advised nowadays to upload four to six weeks in advance to give the Spotify editors a chance to listen to your track and hopefully uh, get on some playlists. So in order order to be able to do that we need the artwork but we are so so close oh my god okay all the dogs my dad owns three dogs and a cat um two german shepherds one devon rex cat and the other dog is like i don't know a small yappy thing and they've literally just all run outside so i don't know i'm digging the vibes of just bringing you into my life and sharing more of my life with you so you can get to know me And, um, but of course the educational content will continue. Um, but yeah, especially when it comes to my band relaunching, I'm very much looking forward to sharing that journey. I will be sharing it more so in my being in a band membership. So if you're not a member, I'll leave the link down below for you to join. I just, uh, a couple of days ago actually posted a behind the scenes video of how I've actually set up my band's streaming link to our upcoming EP. So it's a private streaming link where we've uploaded the EP onto SoundCloud and how we've set that out to not only make it really easy for media and also music industry people that we'll be sending this to to listen to the upcoming EP, but also to make us sellable. So there are a few little tricks, uh, but you can only get access to that uh, behind the scenes content and more of that sort of content that I'm going to be continuing to create over the next few months via the Being in a Band membership. So aside from bonus videos like that, you get a masterclass every single month and you also get a Q&A with me so I can support you on your journey and you have someone coaching you through your releases as part of the group. And the group is extremely supportive. We've got a, fi- a private Facebook uh, group and it's just such an amazing, an amazing community. And the last thing that I have to tell you is the PR challenge that I'm doing with a bunch of music industry PR and media professionals is kicking off on the 15th of March. This is a challenge that is going to help you and your band gear up and really make the most out of any PR campaign, whether you're DIYing your PR or whether you've hired an agency. Trust me, even if you hire the best PR agency out there, it is going to be money down the drain if you are not actually supporting 
supporting your PR campaign on your end through social media, through your interviews and artwork and content and everything. Uh, yeah, it's just going to be money down the drain if you're not really capitalizing. So that is exactly what this challenge is going to teach you. It's going for 13 days and you'll get a short, easy to digest video lesson every single day on a different topic, as well as a very simple action item to uh, help you implement what you've learned. We've already got over 40 people within this challenge. Our goal is 100 and it's also a pay what you can afford system. So you can fully uh, nominate how much you want to actually pay for this course. And as I said, we kick off on the 15th of March. So I would love, love, love to actually meet some of the listeners of the Being in a Band uh, podcast in person. Well, not in person, but you know, I'd like to actually speak to you and not just have this one-way dialogue. So, um, if you are releasing new music this year, get into this challenge, pay $5, pay $1 if you want to pay $50. Trust me, it's going to be worth hundreds of dollars this two weeks. It's, you know, basically goes for around two weeks. Uh, it's going to be worth hundreds of dollars. Let me assure you of that. So yeah, I'd really love to see you in there. Again, the link is down below. But given today is International Women's Day, I have such the perfect interview to share with you with Brie Noble from The Profitable Musician. She also runs the Female Entrepreneur Musician podcast and radio show. And we talk about so many different topics, not just relevant to those identifying as women, but to everyone around touring with a family, to her five five-step process to actually being a profitable musician. So she shares that in the second half. And I really, really love how simple this process is. And I think that it's definitely a process that I can see working because you'll hear it when I say that I, I totally get where she's coming from when a lot of musicians try to skip ahead. So grab a cup of tea, coffee, beer, whatever, and uh, relax and listen to this fantastic interview with Brie Noble from The Profitable Musician and Female Entrepreneur Musician podcast and radio show. I'm here today with Brie Noble from The Female Entrepreneur Musician. Brie, welcome to the Being in a Band podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So for those who haven't come across your amazing podcast before, I would love if you could introduce yourself and how you got started with the path that you're on currently. Sure. Um, so I am a musician and I started being a, well, I've been a musician forever, but you know, I, I started down that path in college, really wanting to be a recording artist and a touring artist and all that stuff. I was in a group in college that toured um, a band, it was actually a band, half band, half acapella, which was interesting. Uh, so we would like do acapella songs and then we would all get on our instruments and do a band song where we had sing singers and backups and all that stuff like rock style. So it was an interesting group. Um, but it gave me that like bug to perform and to record. And so I wanted to do that after college, but I really didn't have a clue. I, you know, I got married and we went to a totally new city where my husband was getting his uh, doctoral degree. And so I didn't know anyone. I had no idea how to get started and start building any kind of a career or even connections and stuff. So I did what I think a lot of people do is I went 
onto the classified ads and I started looking for bands that were looking for people to fill a role. And so I started, you know, trying out for these bands. I don't know, I tried out for like a Fleetwood Mac cover band. And, you know, I was in this like all male hard rock band other than me, which was not a good fit. But like, <laughs> I, I was just trying, you know, to to find my place. And I didn't have the confidence in myself to think that I could, you know, build anything off of my own talent, my own knowledge of marketing. Cause I didn't really think I knew anything about how to promote myself, even though I had a, a degree in business, let me add. Um, but you know, when it came to music, I thought, Oh, you have to know something special about the music industry. So I thought, that I just needed to be in some other band because they must know better than I do. And so after multiple failed band attempts, my last of which was an all-female band that like fully self-destructed because, um, uh, because the person in charge of it, she touted herself as someone who knew all about marketing, but when it came down to it and we put out our CD, all she, her version of marketing was, giving us each a box of CDs and telling us we had to sell them to our family and friends without ever having performed live or anyone knowing what we sounded like. So at that point, I was just like, okay, uh, obviously these people don't know any better than I do. I'm just going to you know, try to put my business hat on at the same time that I'm doing my music and figure this out step-by-step, step, grassroots, you know, starting with people I know, and so it ended up me building my own band around my own music and then also just learning how to be a solo artist when I wanted to go on tour because the band members that I had were, you know, they, they worked a day job and stuff. So that's what I ended up doing and putting out a few CDs and doing a, a lot of tours at that time. I actually, um, so like during that time I was trying to be in bands and stuff, I worked as a director of finance at an opera company which is like an interesting combo. Right. Um, but you know, I never wanted to be an opera singer. I just enjoy classical music, but I was, you know, all that time trying to be my own kind of artist. And so eventually I left that job because I had a child and I uh, had my first daughter. And so that's when I built my music career. When I had a two to seven year old and I would bring her on tour with me and things. So after that, and when I just decided, sorry, this story is super long, but no, um, I, I love it. <laughs> when I kind of decided after I had my second daughter, cause the, the year that I was pregnant with my second daughter was my busiest year as an artist. And I was, I had so many, many tours and things. And at the end of that, you know, um, I was, tired of, you know, trying not to be sick as I was performing, being pregnant and all that stuff and just needed a bit of a break. And so I pulled back. And then as I, you know, I had two kids, it was much harder to go on tour because my other daughter was older. She needed to stay home and be in school. And I did do a few tours with the, bringing the little one with me. I did a few tours by myself. And then I just decided, um, I needed to stay home with them. I needed to be around. I didn't want to miss those years. And so that's when I kind of um, dug more into the business side of helping musicians. So during that time that I was a recording artist, I decided to start a platform called Women of Substance, which was 
back then an online radio station. It eventually became a podcast that we still have today. And at that point I decided, okay, well, I'm just going to go all in on this women of substance thing. And I was finding that these women that I was promoting their music, they would come to me and ask me questions. Well, how, how do I get more, you know, how do I get more people to find out about my music and how do I build my following? And, you know, how do I book more shows? And, or I would notice that they had great music, but like nothing marketing wise. And so I thought, you know, there's a way I can help them. So that was when I first started the female entrepreneur musician podcast. I started the female musician Academy and that was in 2015. And so we still have the Academy now we still have that podcast. And then over the years, I just, I moved more into, um, I still obviously really focus on females, but I moved into some parts where I was helping musicians make money because I felt like that was somewhere that, that I could really help because of being also a director of finance and just having that mindset of, you know, budgeting and expenses and, um, income and, you know, how it all works together and stuff. So I did my profitable musician summits two years in a row, and now I've got my profitable musician podcast as well. So I'm doing a lot just because I really want to help musicians be able to continue making the music that they're making. And if they're not making any money at it, like we're not going to be millionaires, but if you're not making any money at it, it's going to be hard to keep making it. Yeah, absolutely. That is, I got so much from just your intro (laughs) that I want to ask you about. Uh, First off, I mean, working with, I mean, about 70% of my audience identify as male. Um, but one of the things that I have come up against both through my clients and members and something that I've thought about a lot myself is the lack of representation when it comes to, uh, particularly women identifying, um, mothers, taking their children on tour and what that looks like, because there really isn't a lot of, as I said, representation, or at least it's, it's not very well documented, even though I know it does happen. And especially in metal and rock and metal and heavy genres, which is kind of what I focus on. I would love to know what that looked like for you in terms of taking your first daughter on tour and some of the challenges and also some of the beautiful things about that, because yeah, I've had a lot of discussions, uh, with women in particular about worried that they do want to have a family, but they also, their career means everything to them and how are those two things going to coincide. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, part of it is obviously the genre that I was in. I was in singer-songwriter and also Christian. So mm. there were a lot more venues where it was okay to take a, a child with you. Okay. So, you know, I did actually a lot of mom's groups. So there were like, there's a group called Mothers of Preschoolers around here. Um, and they have chapters all over the place. And they just want to have entertainment and like a a speaker and stuff for their events. And so that is what I did. And they had free childcare. So that worked out really well. Nice. Um, But, you know, doing, doing churches, doing uh, private events, doing house concerts, doing, um, you know, community groups and things like that. 
where it's number one, a little more acceptable if you had to bring someone with you. And also I I would bring my mom with me on tour. So we had three generations of women on tour (laughs) and um, she would, you know, take my daughter, Julia, to the park or something while I was performing. And then they'd come back and help me at the CD table at the end, uh, the merch table. And, you know, like my daughter loved to set up the table and she's even today, like she's so fastidious um, about how she actually, right now she helps me out with like image images and my Instagram and stuff like that, because she's so, you know, aesthetics are important to her and she's very organized. And so that started, I swear when, when she would like organize my CD table and set everything up and make sure that it all looked right. And the signs were up and everything. And, you know, people just love to be able to see that more personal side that they were both there with me on tour. So that's kind of how it worked for me. You know, I did coffee shops, you know, places where you would, it would be okay to have a child. Like I didn't do bars or clubs or anything like that. So that was a big help. (laughs) Definitely. And another thing that you touched upon was kind of, I guess, the imposter syndrome that you felt when you were sort of leaving the marketing in that all girl band up to your bandmate uh, and sort of trusting in their sort of lead when it came to getting your music out there because you felt like you didn't necessarily have the knowledge. I think imposter syndrome is one of the most common sort of mental blocks that musicians face. How do you recommend overcoming that? How can we identify imposter syndrome and yeah, how do you just move through it? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think that that term was even a thing when I figured out that I was doing it back then. Um, But it's nice that it has a name now because it really is that because it, it makes it clear that you do know what's what's going on. It's just, you don't realize that you do. You're looking at other people thinking, oh, they're way better than I am. And that's the way I thought of that because this girl, she was very like focused on the brand. Like she's like, this is exactly the brand that we want for this band. This is what it looks like. These are our colors. Like she seemed like she really knew marketing, but it turns out she was just very, very into the branding. (laughs) She didn't actually know anything about the strategy of marketing. Um, so I guess it just, it took me seeing enough times that other people really didn't know any better than I did for me to get the confidence to be like, why couldn't I, I could at least do as good as this, you know? And I do have this background. I think it's just that I didn't, I didn't think of them together. Like I was, I came into school, I was getting a degree in vocal performance and my sophomore year, I realized that I loved accounting, which I always been kind of, I liked math. I had a mathematical brain. And so when I discovered that and I'm like, well, this will be a good fallback thing if the music thing doesn't work out. And I ended up getting a degree in accounting with a focus in like marketing and management. And I just thought of it as a whole nother thing. I thought it was a completely separate thing. And I think also because of the way the music industry used to be organized, it was like musicians weren't expected to do the marketing and they weren't even really like involved in it. (laughs) You know, you just, you make the music, you go out and play, you do the recording and we'll just do the rest. 
And that's, I just kind of thought that that's how it was in the music industry, even though I could see, you know, with the internet and all, you know, and like right when I was doing all of this, all the social media was starting up and it just, if, if it had happened maybe five years later, I wouldn't have gone through that maybe such a long period of like not realizing that I should be digging my, you know, digging in and doing the marketing myself because I could. Mm. So I think it was partly timing um, and kind of how the old industry was and just not seeing that shift yet. And then partly just me not being confident and not connecting those dots. Going from, you know, a high powered position in corporate to now being an entrepreneur and with your podcasts and working with musicians, I would love to know what you feel the biggest differences are between a traditional corporate role and working as an entrepreneur. What was that (laughs) change of mindset about how you approach maybe the day-to-day work like? Well, there's one thing that's very different because I was talking to my daughter about this the other day because she went out and applied for her first real job. And and she realized that like there's if you're in a, a location where there's where you're working with other people in a physical location, there there's an opportunity to be like judgment and drama and all of that stuff. And I definitely experienced a lot of that working at the opera. You know, there's certain personalities you don't get along with. There's people that are like trying to pull one over on you. They're trying to stab you in the back, you know, and, and, you know, lots of drama too at the opera. I swear there's more drama off stage than on stage, (laughs) but but, so it's nice to not have to deal with that as an entrepreneur. You know, I have my team and, you know, we're not always going to agree or, you know, there may be, you know, something that happens, a disagreement with someone else in the industry or whatever, but it's not, you can mostly just stay in your own lane. You know, you don't have to worry about how what other people are doing is affecting you as much. You can, you can be your own motivator, your own, like, you know, powering your own engine or whatever. And there aren't a lot of other people that can screw that up. Definitely in the corporate world, like other people can come in and mess up stuff that you do and there's nothing you can do about it and undermine you and all that stuff. So that is really, really nice. Um, as far as the time stuff, I think that I, w- I do kind of operate the same as I did in corporate. Um, there's just hopefully not as many distractions. Corporate is also very distracting because there's a lot of other people asking you for stuff all the time. So I can really, really focus. Of course, now with COVID, there's like kids asking you for things, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, cause they're home. But, um, I just, I feel like I was always pretty organized and, and focused with the way that I worked, but it did take me a little while. You know, when I was first doing this as an entrepreneur, it took me a bit to to really get like legs with this is the way I work best. I work best in blocks. And, you know, once I get focused on something, I like to have like a big empty, you know, space in front of me of a couple hours to really work on it. And so it's just understanding kind of how I work best. 
Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned was staying in your lane and how that's a lot easier uh, now that you're working for yourself. You recently put out a podcast episode about why music hustle culture will kill your career growth. And I thought that was such a good episode because it is really easy to get distracted by other artists and trying out, you know, various marketing tactics. I'd love for you to kind of uh, speak on that a little bit about why that hustle mentality and not being focused is detrimental when you're an artist trying to carve your own path. Yeah. I mean, I think that I certainly still experience this as an entrepreneur, right? Like we're always being bombarded with so many shiny objects and you see other people having success with things and you think, oh, maybe I should be doing that. Um, But yeah, that staying in your own lane is so important. But I think with musicians, it's so much easier to like really focus on this like hustle goal of like, if I just grind and grind and grind, I'm going to reach this thing. And whether that's like, I'm going to get a record deal or I'm going to go viral or I'm going to, you know, something where all of a sudden you just, you hit this point where you have dreamed about your entire life, you know? And I I think that that's even more amplified with musicians. And so you just kind of see this like singular goal in front of you and you're just like, well, I just need to keep grinding and grinding and grinding until I get to that and doing everything I can. And that's why I said like the music music hustle culture, because I do think that especially younger people, they get into that. Whereas as you get older, you start to realize the importance of balance. And, you know, as the clock is ticking, you're like, uh, I can't just keep grinding forever, especially if I'm not getting to that one elusive goal that I think I have, because then I won't have time to do anything else in my life. Before we continue on, I'm so excited because today's episode is sponsored by Bandzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it super easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, and let me tell you, they look super modern and fresh, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Being in a band podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, that's B-A-N-D-Z-O-O-G-L-E.com and try it free for 30 days and use the promo code being in a band, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com with promo code being in a band and I've left it linked below. Switching gears. You have a profit path, which is five stages of music career growth. Can you um, tell us a little bit about that and how that uh, pathway, you know, came into fruition? Yeah, it actually really relates to that last question because of the whole thing of doing things that aren't going to serve you now, Um, you know, seeing things that other artists are doing. 
I see this really a lot with musicians that are first starting out is that they're trying to emulate things that artists, you know, two, three years down the path are doing, thinking that they will work for them, but they won't because they haven't built the foundation that they need in order to take advantage of those things. So whether it's like PR, you know, spending money on PR or, um, you know, doing like a whole bunch of different social media platforms or whatever it is, it's just not, you're not gonna be able to take advantage of it until you've done the base stuff. So that's why I created this path because it's like, okay, you know, in your, what I call the foundation stage, these are the things that you need to do. These are the things that you need to check off your list and know that you've built this foundation for yourself. Now you can move into this next stage, which is what I call the promotion stage, where you're ready to start going out there and putting yourself out in front of other people and trying to get some feedback and engagement. But if you haven't built those, you know, base platforms and that foundation, then you won't have any way to stay connected with anyone that you engage with in stage two. So, you know, ways of keeping in touch with fans like email list and, you know, having established social media and things like that, you can, a website and everything. So, it all builds on each other. And the reason, one reason I created this is because I wanted people to know what they shouldn't be focusing on as well as what they should be focusing on. So they didn't have that shiny object thing, distraction that keeps them from, you know, moving toward the goal that they want. Like when I was saying in that podcast that I recorded, it's like you keep building these bridges toward the other side of the river, but you only go a little ways on each bridge and then you get distracted and go build another one. And if you just put those all together, they could reach the other side, but instead you're just building little beginnings of bridges. Mm. Are you able to take us through the five stages um, at a high level? Yeah, sure. At a high level. So the foundation is, like I said, basically on the, so I have kind of it break broken down into, um, like the platforms and performance and like, there's different things in, you know, and profit in each area. So for example, in the foundation, you don't make any profit because you're not there yet. You're Mm. just setting everything up. So, you know, that's why I tell them like, don't expect to make any money here. You're probably going to go out and sing for free a little bit to just be able to get really confident and get, you know, your chops built up and be able to learn what your stage presence is like and how you're going to talk to your audience and all that stuff that we all need as musicians. Um, and so, you know, like in the, in the foundation stage, you build your website, you build an EPK, you build your, you start your email list with like a hundred people. you choose which are your two social media platforms you're going to focus on or like one, you maybe YouTube and then one other social media platform. And so those are the main, and then you really hone your chops as a performer And then by the second stage, then, you know, maybe you are starting to make a little bit of profit. Maybe you're doing something like house concerts or live streams and you're, um, you're being able to get a little bit of money from the small group of fans that you've started to gather by engaging on social media and getting the word out about your music in stage two. And then stage three is what I call the expansion. And that's kind of where you really start to 
expand into more places to get yourself out there. So if you've really established one social media, maybe now, you, you know, if you established yourself on Facebook and things are going well, maybe now you can move into Instagram and, you know, you can start looking for other venues to play at that are maybe, you know, a little bit bigger because now you can command a bigger stage and, and you can ask for more money because you've paid your dues and you've really honed your craft and at that point, I always recommend maybe bring someone on your team to help you because during the expansion stage, I think it's actually the hardest because you are still kind of doing everything by yourself, but there's a lot of things happening. You know, you're getting a lot of opportunities and it's almost like stressful that you are doing so well. And so you don't want to feel like that. You don't want to like push opportunities away because you feel like you can't handle everything that's coming your way. So mm -hmm. definitely want to bring someone on your team at that point, whether it's a volunteer. I mean, even for me, like I had my mom like helping me, you know, with admin stuff and, you know, I do contests and she'd enter the emails into the email list and, She'd do some booking calls for me and stuff like that. Um, or you can. Your mom you sounds fantastic. My mom, yeah, she coming on tour with me. you and doing your admin—that's amazing. I know. Yeah, she did a lot for me uh, during those years because she didn't work full time. So uh, she was a decorative painter, so she could like take jobs when she wanted them, which was nice. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, so when you move on to the, the next stage, which I call the automation, you're able to like automate some stuff in your business. So you can spend more time doing the things that you really want to do. So that could be like bringing someone on your team to help you do like as much of the admin as possible. So you can really focus on, you know, creating more music and performing and doing the things that are really going to leverage your genius and your talent and bring in the most money. And then the final stage is the profession stage. And you know, it's not like you just stop there, right? Oh, I'm done. I made it to the top of the mountain. Well, now you're being able to, you know, bring in consistent income. You're also able to take advantage of more opportunities, like maybe doing a, a crowdfunding or a Patreon or, um, you know, doing some music licensing and expand into different income streams. But, you know, just to be clear, like, just because I call it the profession stage, it doesn't mean that you have to be doing this full time. This is a like a path that you can go down whether you just want to do music on the side. The whole goal is that you have a sustainable thing that's that's bringing in new fans and bringing in more money so you can keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other things that I wanted to I guess speak about with you is uh, income streams for artists, because I think that especially now a lot of artists are concerned because especially those where touring was one of the main sort of income generators for them. And when, you know, especially with the demographic that I work with, when we think about making money from music, we think, okay, shows, we think merch, uh, maybe some royalties from radio. What, are some other streams of revenue? How can we start thinking outside of the box a little bit or are those the main streams of revenue that you teach? Um, oh, we definitely teach more than that. Those are important ones though. And it's funny because before COVID, 
I was always having to remind people that those were important income streams because there was this whole movement where everybody just didn't want to perform anymore and they just wanted to do everything online and, you know, sell sell CDs and merch and stuff with Facebook ads and never even have to be in person anymore. And I, I hated that movement because I feel like so much of the, the you know, the best parts of being a musician are your interaction with your fans. And if you can do that in person, that is amazing. Like it just, at least for me as an artist, it like gives me energy. It gives me life. It makes me want to, makes me realize that I have value, you know, all of that stuff. And so it was just, I felt like I was fighting against that for a few years of like, don't forget how important live performances are. Even if you're doing them online, like you need to interact, you need to, you know, practice your craft and stuff like that. And then when, you know, COVID hit, and of course we couldn't do any of those things. Um, then we, we did have to rely on some of those other things and live streaming still, you know, it still happens, which is great. At least we still have some outlet for performing. Um, but I, I just think at least for me, like recording from home has always been something that I've done for the past 20 years and been able to, you know, make money with that as a session singer, being able to do, you know, backup singing and lead vocals and stuff for other people's projects, songwriters, you know, would contact me and have me, and, and they, a lot of times they'd write a song with me in mind, you know, it was a certain style. Um, so I would say it's so cheap now to get a setup at home. I would say that that's been one of the biggest income streams for people during this time period mm. because so many people are recording because they can't do other things, right? But they still need they need help. You know, maybe they need a lead guitar part. Maybe they need a drummer to do this one song because they just couldn't find a loop that they liked or they wanted to have a live sound or something. Um, they needed, you know, extra. I was just talking to someone who got you know, uh, session musicians to do like a whole horn section on their new song, or they got somebody to do like a viola and cello, you know? And so I feel like musicians have a lot of opportunities to do that. And it's, it's a worldwide marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Actually today, uh, one of my one of my uh, good friends just released a, a brand new single and um, she's based in Sydney and I'm based in Melbourne and she was getting a whole bunch of local sort of musicians to do backing vocals. And uh, yeah, it was really cool that I was able to do backing vocals as well from an entirely different city and then just send them over. And um, it's such a great track. And I think we underestimate sometimes, especially if you are someone that's involved in, in being a session musician, I mean, I'm, I'm not personally, it was just sort of for a friend's track. Um, but I just like was so happy that I was able to contribute and be in an entirely different city. So, um, I always, I never take that for granted. I think, uh, 
that that's and so many people have their own home recording setups as well nowadays as you say it's it's relatively inexpensive and relatively easy to set that up if you're interested I have a friend who is a guitarist and and vocalist but he's also a saxophone player and I've heard a lot of songs recently with random saxophone on there and I just think that that's really cool that uh we can reach out to anyone around the globe and, and get some, you know, different flavors and and different instruments on there. Uh, just, yeah. And there's opportunities for people who maybe are just really good at arranging. I mean, there's so many, Mm. even in my group, there's so many people in there that, that all they do is sing and they've written a song, but they can't play it and they just need someone to arrange it for them because they want to record it. And, you know, just doing like an all-in-one kind of arrangement for somebody. There's mm-hmm. a lot of demand for that. And, you know, there's also a lot of demand for like mixing and mastering. So if you have those skills, there's a lot out there for you. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find you, follow your podcasts um, and the uh, Women of Substance radio and uh, follow you on social media? Absolutely. So um, since 70% of your audience is male, I'll definitely mention the Profitable Musician, ProfitableMusician.com. Uh, our podcast is all about, obviously, making a profit from music. So check that out. Um, for you women out there, female entrepreneur musician, that is F as in female, E as in entrepreneur musician.com, F-E musician.com. And then women of substance substance is wosradio.com. And I'd love to have you guys all uh, follow me on Instagram. Profitable Musician LLC is our handle there. Beautiful. And Brie has a number of free resources, which you're able to sign up through, through the link in her bio on Insta. You've got a masterclass on how to plan and execute your next release without regretting missed opportunities, which I love, uh, how to attract a thousand true friends and also a guide on five income streams to tap into right now. Uh, so yeah, definitely go check those out. And Oh, and also, since you did mention the profit, path. I have my musician's profit path book is on Amazon. So you Ah. guys can uh, go grab that. It's a very hands-on, hands-on guide. It gives you like, okay, I finished this stage. Let me check these off. Make sure that I'm ready to move to the next stage. Love it. Love it. Well, Brie, thank you so much for joining us today on the being in a band podcast and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Being in a Band podcast. If you liked this episode, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an upload. And if you really liked the episode, make sure you leave me a five-star review. If you aren't a member already, come and join my free Facebook group, Music Marketing and Mindset for heavy bands and musicians. It's a business savvy community of musicians just like you. If you want to work together, all the details are available at monicastrut.com and I'll catch you next time. Bye.